0: From Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge. <coughs> Sorry, you need to cough. <coughs> Sorry, <dude.
1: coughs> You fucked it up already, Jesus. We <laughs> know, yeah, we're going to be here all
0: day. I'll cancel the rest
1: of my afternoon.
0: Hmm. Fear it all, fear it all. <coughs> From Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge to start their own businesses. We take a look at how they came to that decision and what those first crucial steps were in getting their business up and running. My name's Ciarán and I'll be your host for this episode. Today I'm really delighted to be joined by Dee McMugterick, who's the founder and CEO of ufurnish.com. Ufurnish.com is a furniture and furnishings website that's revolutioning the way we search and discover things for our home. ufurnish.com brings together the widest range of retailers from over 100 high street names to smaller independents all in one place, giving everyone the confidence that they found the perfect item. Dee's passion stems back to when she was a young kid uh, in her family's grocery shop and being drawn in by all the homes and all the customers that were coming through those doors. And then how it all kind of came to fruition was through frustration, like a lot of business owners in terms of after that exciting moment of purchasing uh, her very first home, it came down to the nitty-gritty of, of how to furnish it, furnish it and all the frustrations that came with, with it. And I think a sense of, I could probably do this a bit better. So fast forward to today. Dee proudly leads a team who shared this mission of transforming the way we all shop for our homes. They believe it should be simple for everyone to create their dream home, which is why they bring together over 100 UK most exciting retailers from John Lewis, Wayflower, Dunelm, I'll, I'll re-record that last bit, D So we'll just continue on, and then we'll, I'll get those names right. But welcome to the pod, D. Thank you so much for joining us today. First and foremost, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to speak.
0: Great. Uh, so as I alluded to there in the intro, uh, you furnish is kind of born out one of natural affinity towards furnishing from your own family background but by the signs of things it really started from a a frustration um after purchasing your 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 home can you you talk to me how it all happened and then how the business started deforming from from that frustration
1: yeah i suppose from a young age i've always loved interiors so i was waiting for the friday property section to come i was cutting up the argus catalogue and uh, Barbie is being released on Friday into the cinema. Will you be going to see it, Ciarán? Uh,
0: uh, yeah, maybe. Absolutely, I'm sure, I <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I grew up a tomboy, but uh, I was you going to see
0: Oppenheimer then?
1: <laughs> I was laughing with somebody today because I hated dolls. Yeah. But about age nine, I got into playing with Barbie, just as all my friends were getting out of playing with it. Ah. Uh, but what I realized is that I had no interest in Barbie, frankly, um, but what I did like was I was building her houses. Ah. And I was uh, painting matchstick boxes and putting a little thumbtack in it because that was a little bedside drawer. So um, I've always loved interiors and I, I found a way to make it work uh, with all these different elements. And then, you know, fast forward a number of years, working in the city in London, buying an apartment. And finally, I've got my own little real interiors project and boy was I prepared. I had screenshots, I had paper (laughs) cutouts from the last decade. I knew what I wanted to do. And all I needed to do was to to buy the furniture. How hard could that Mm -hmm. be?
0: Yeah.
1: And as you mentioned, that's where frustration struck. I couldn't find the products. And if you're watching and you can see the video, there is a big mirror behind me and it sort of looks a bit like a window. It's an arched mirror and it's got all like little sort of panes with it. And I remember I wanted one of these. And yeah. I was looking and looking and looking and we were at a corporate event at the Chelsea uh, Flower Show and I saw one and yeah. I rushed over and I was like, oh my God, I've been looking for a mirror like this for so long. This is it. This is amazing. And she's said, oh yeah, it's three grand. And I was like, sorry, sorry oh, how much? God. How much? Three grand. Who spends three grand in a mirror? I can't afford that much. So I walked away very disappointed and the search continued. But... I found one and here it is. And it was actually on sale. So it was about 300 pounds. So much cheaper than the three grand uh, I would have had to drop originally to find what I was looking for.
0: Just the 90%. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, But I suppose that was sort of the idea is that you've got an idea. There's lots of inspiration out there. How do you find the product? And what I was doing was individually searching on each furniture retailer, John Lewis, Wayfair, Habitat, Heels, Tesco Home, Soho Home, all the budgets.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i was like
1: but i only know a certain number of the retailers where's the rest of the retailers because i want to see all the products regardless of who's selling it and that was the moment that was the light bulb why isn't there an aggregator there's a lot of industries out there that have an aggregator that help us to search vast amounts if we think of hotels booking.com if we think of Mm -hmm. for -hmm. real estate there was really great inspiration there to say we need a solution like this for furniture
0: so i just just pausing on that like so many people will be down the pub on Friday or finishing work today and they'll be swinging out these in ideas left, right, and the center, an aggregator for this. But I'd say 99% of them don't move from the idea or the frustration into, okay, let's actually do something about this instead of a business. So, how. how how come it was different from you and was there uh, a big transition from light bulb moment to right let's get on with this or was there a long period of time kind of how did that play out
1: um so it was a really long period of time um i bought the apartment and moved in in february um, 2017. i didn't leave my job until april 2019. okay so i was like here's an idea i have no idea how to make it happen if i'll be completely honest So I had no idea how a website comes to be, literally none, like no background in technology whatsoever. No clue where you didn't go to start it. Um, And um, ended up sort of toying with the idea with my then boyfriend, now husband. And we sort of like sort of told him about it. He was like, "Mm, don't know. And then we sort of started talking about it a little bit more. And I remember there was one very rainy bank holiday weekend in May that you typically get. And we'd gone down the South coast. So we were sitting in a pub. And we started drawing out on a napkin, actually. And that was sort of one of the moments where it sort of became a little bit more real. It was like, right, there's something yeah. here Feels like at his legs. And then he was working in the States. And I remember he rang me up one Sunday and said, right, so I've been doing some research this week and over the weekend here. Yeah. Actually, there's nothing like this over here in terms of the solution. Even speaking mm-hmm. to the guys at work, it's the same frustration that they have, <clears throat> whereby their other half, it's typically a female sort of purchasing yeah. decision, so yeah. stereotyping, sort of is looking on Pinterest. She sees some things, but then she can't find it. Yeah. And she's having the same frustration. And it was at that moment that we sort of realized, okay, there's something bigger here. Let's go and do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that was a long time in the making. And I suppose it was number one sort of that sort of continual just questioning, asking people, oh, you just bought a house. How was it? Yeah. Was it frustrating? What did you do? How did you go about it? Um, but I suppose the other bit then was actually probably finding a co-founder, somebody who could, you know, come in and have the skill set that I was lacking. That meant that we could come together and actually bring it and, and bring it to fruition, and from that idea on paper into something that was real.
0: And and it told me through that bit. So you, you've you've got to the kind of like <laughs> primitive wire framing, let's say, napkin and a pub. Uh, so you're starting to kind of visualize what what it could be. At that point, are you kind of doing kind of like a skills gap analysis in terms of like, this is what I know and this is what I don't know. So therefore I need to go find out a, a co-founder that can help me with these other elements.
1: Um, I, I don't think it was that conscious around it. Yeah, okay. It's like, there's an idea here. I've got no idea how to do it. I can do certain <laughs> bits, but like, he was like, okay, but I could do these bits. And then you were sort of yeah. like a no brainer. Okay, well, we can do this together. So yeah. it wasn't like, I need a co-founder to do this and yeah. I've identified this person it sort of just organically happened and it just so happened that my you know boyfriend at the time had the perfect skill set to be very complimentary to mine to make it happen yeah. it yeah. didn't feel like we were consciously doing that but yes yeah. it's probably in reality that was sort of what was happening like I don't know how I don't know big if, if I'm like I wonder if he wasn't able to do that I wonder would I have ever brought Take it out or how, yeah. I would have got a co-founder, would it
0: have happened? I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, well, I suppose uh, from from kind of realizing that you had a good skill set that was kind of working well together, did you immediately kind of stop working in terms of your job at the time? Or did you start to kind of take carve out time between yourselves to start experimenting and, and building out a prototype or concepts? Like, how, wh- how did you kind of structure the, the, that kind of next phase
1: yeah. So at this point, I was working in investment banking, so I was working about sixteen-hour days, including most weekends. So, so loads load of time, loads of
0: time. Load the time. To
1: carve out, yeah, yeah. and uh, and think about it. So um, what we decided to do was that actually my co-founder Ray would leave his job, okay, and I would still working.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, to
1: get a prototype up and running. That was his department and his skill set.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
1: that's what we did, and. You know, I can remember texting him on a Friday, being like, "Oh, I'm going for drinks after work. Come into the city." And he's like, "No, I've got to get yeah. stuff done." And I was like, "All right, God, that's a bit boring." So you was definitely a bit detached <laughs> in terms yeah. of not being in yeah. the same way that he was. But yeah. we were such a good team because he's as motivated and about persistent around solving it that it was like, "Okay, yeah. I'll still working on that, and I'll go for drinks after work then, and um, on the Friday." So it was like <laughs> it sort of worked out. Well, in terms of we were able to sort of stage when we left, and I can still remember once we got it live, and he rang me up this day. I was at work and he was like, Somebody's just made a sale. I was like, What? What? Oh, like, do we know them? Do, do we know them though? Because that doesn't count. That we know them. I was like, no, no, we don't know. Them. like, Oh my god, amazing. How has this happened? It was that what sort it? of point of validation. And yeah. then it was shortly after that that I quit uh, yeah. my job as well. But there was probably you know a good nine to 12 months in between when he had left versus when I had left.
0: Uh, I, I'd say that's some dopamine hit, though that first that first sale, where as you say, you you've no con- connection to this person. They genuinely have found your concept and decided yes. this is this is what I need, and 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 fully gone gone through on it. So it it, it sounds like then the MVP was actually quite well developed uh, before you even uh, left your job in terms of you were actively selling through 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 the platform. So did did Ray kind of essentially? Go and build it himself, or did you go find uh, an, an agency or an individual developer that could get could get that initial first product live?
1: Yeah, no, we worked. We worked with an agency um, to get the initial MVP live, and, and look, yeah. it, w- it was functional. That's actually probably the nicest thing I could say about it. You know, it's been completely <laughs> scrapped since then. And you know, I can like, imagine
0: like, you were nice and blunt. <laughs>
1: you are like, you were like, look, it's, it must have been fairly developed, and I was like, yeah, it was, it was something. Um, you know, you're reading books like The Lean Startup and you're like, oh, yeah. it's not exactly good enough. And, you know, we often reflect back and you're like, what would you do differently? And sometimes it's really hard to answer yeah. because, yeah, we could have brought, um, built a much bigger MVP that was much more functional than what we had. But would we have spent a lot of money and would we have still scrapped it? Yeah. You know, what you did along the way, it's, it's about getting to the next step all the time, I think, in yeah. one way. And you can be overly harsh on yourself, thinking, "Oh, we should have done this differently," but you know it was the best decision at the time mm-hmm, based on the information mm-hmm. that we had, and keep moving forward in some ways. Yeah.
0: So, so having kind of got that MVP to that stage, uh, what what point of the business did you feel it was at that gave you comfort to say, "Right, I'm going to quit my job and go full time into this."
1: Um. So it was really around the opportunity was coming very clear, and this is a big business to build. It's a very, you're building a full search platform. Um, and yeah. So we bring all of the retailers onto one platform. It's, you know, hundreds of products, millions, or er, hundreds of retailers, millions of products. And that's no mean fee. And we knew we were mm-hmm. going to have to raise money to, mm-hmm. do, to build a business of our size. It's an economy, it's a scale business as well. Yeah. So it was very clear around, right, we're going to need to go out and raise finance. And that very much was back into my skill set. Yeah. So that was we can see the opportunity is there, we've built an MVP, we've validated it, now is going to take it to the next step in order to, to continue to build out. So yeah, that that's probably sort of how it happened on that side, um, from the business side, realising that I could leave.
0: Yeah, and I suppose in terms of getting that first kind of startup capital into into the business, trying to back the next stage of it, how how did you find that experience of, of going out and ra- raising finance at that kind of uh level of maturity that the business was at at that stage
1: yeah so i don't know if it's just in hindsight but um it, it didn't feel that difficult if i'll be honest yeah, um, yeah
0: yeah.
1: it definitely took us a little bit longer than we thought uh around just having conversations and getting meetings in the diary and you know we get cancelled and then okay well i'm free again in two weeks i have got two weeks jesus it's yeah, so long and you know <laughs> comes around then but you know times like that that really frustrated me because yeah from investment banking as well like you know we could do a deal in two weeks for like 20 billion dollars yeah and like no i've got to wait two weeks to have another call with this guy oh god that's so long um yeah so yeah that was sort of i suppose part of it when we were looking Mm. at at raising the finance but we tapped into the people that we'd worked with who knew us and actually when they know that you're a go-getter and very determined they were quite willing to back you i suppose fortunate that had come from an industry where Mm -hmm that I'd worked with actually have the ability to invest in companies because yep. they're typically high earners so I probably found it a little bit easier than probably most people in that regard
0: and, and did you were you kind of using the kind of SEIS uh, scheme in the UK to, to raise capital from those those individuals to kind of get you up and running
1: yeah exactly EIS yeah. and SEIS many yeah. of them were already investing under that some of them we yeah. actually had to explain it and you know you could explain the concept to them and how it was sort of very tax beneficial yeah and um you know that's quite nice as well that you feel like it, you're helping people to understanding new objectives but you've also got pressure then because you're like oh God, yeah. this person doesn't know about it and if i'm their first investment <laughs> i need to make it work for them
0: it's yeah. true but it is it's always quite nice explainer be like well, actually, if you're going under SEIS, whatever you're giving me here, you're, you're just essentially risking 25 percent of it. So it's always a pretty nice thing to be able to go and go and tell them. Um, in, in terms of that kind of first capital allotment that you you, you got from from those uh, early stage backers, how did you think about investing it into the business? Like what were the kind of key areas that you wanted to spend that initial capital on?
1: Yeah, so we had three objectives Um Number one, it was building a scalable version of the technology. So knowing that what we built from MVP would have to be scrapped and building a scalable version. Um, Number two was investing in marketing and building a brand. And number three was hiring the team and actually to make Mm -hmm. that happen.
0: And and so just going through each of those three, the first one I can imagine is quite a technical architecture challenge because as you alluded to, you have hundreds of retailers that have to have kind of parent type roles within the system. And then they have millions of children essentially with all the different products that you have. And obviously the nature of your business, imagery is super important, how a product is positioned and stored. So you're getting into the facet there of like, well, I've got millions of these children here all with data rich kind of profiles. How how was that in terms of breaking that down from a technical architecture challenge of being able to ultimately support this large ecosystem of, of products?
1: Yeah, look, that that's the big challenge of it and it's not an easy problem to solve because there's no standardization of the data that's coming through there's no standardized taxonomy even mm. of how people refer to things and um, so that was a huge challenge but it was actually the third challenge that we had to do first we had to hire the team first yeah and um, and you know then we sort of looked at how do we hire the people that would enable us to build out the tech so bringing in a cto bringing in engineers bringing in people to work on the marketing side and then beginning to scope out with you know CTO and the team underneath how we were going to bring all that together
0: and and how did you kind of prioritize those roles what what kind of roles were first through first through the door and kind of why why did you pick those
1: yeah so we were hiring for multiple roles yeah. um the first role that we actually hired was an SEO person yep and um, and then we had our CTO and um the engineers that came in behind that so yep. you know you're we hiring for three or four roles all at once and um, you know I think they all landed in a pretty close sort of succession I think we started in January and by March we pretty much had people starting in the roles.
0: And, and how did you find that kind of recruitment experience had you had much experience in terms of recruiting and managing talent in the past or was this kind of a lot of first time at it?
1: No this was all pretty much first time at it and we worked with an agency who works with a lot of startups and who uh, you know, comes in on the back of VC or PE funding into companies mm-hmm, where they need mm-hmm. to go out the teams. And um, so like they provided us with a lot of help. And yeah. we didn't get all the hires right. Um, yeah. um, and I think that's sort of another reflection that I have is that you never will. And we've reflected a lot about what did we do or what would we have done differently or what advice would I give to people? Yeah. I think hiring is really hard. And I think the realization I give to people is that you're going to get it wrong. So just yeah. figure that out as quick as possible and do something about it when you do. Um, and yeah. because it's, it's really hard to know what you're hiring for. And look, yeah. I think we've got to help a lot better with it. I think we're much clearer as well around what we're expecting because yeah. we didn't know what we were expecting. So it's hard to communicate and to bring that into the interview process. So that was a big part of the journey mm-hmm. as well.
0: So is it kind of the old adage through that if it's not working, it's better to exit the position as as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I heard lately where there is doubt, there is no doubt.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of that other uh, point you made there, that's really interesting. So do you feel that was more a case of you guys having more maturity as a business? Because then you understand kind of what are the metrics most important to you? So therefore, it's easier to clarify to someone coming into the business, this: if you can change the dial here and here and here, then... We're, we're we're laughing i think
1: yeah i think that's a big part of it is the skill set and um, but i think the other big part of it is the cultural fit as well and where you've got it's very easy to get overawed by people that have got amazing you know mm-hmm. linkedin or cvs and all these blue chip companies and things like that but are they the right people and will they be able yeah. to an environment that's full of uncertainty and it's not as structured. You need to be an owner, you need to be able to go out and figure things out yourself. And, you know, that's where as well, you know, we've probably not got that right in some of the hires that we brought in on that side. So I think we do a lot better now as well, but we're more transparent. You know, at the beginning I remember that, if we could only get this person because they're so (laughs) good based on, they worked at X company and X company is successful. So you assume that everybody in that company is successful, which is potentially not the case. And then, like they're like, oh well, I only want to work nine to five. That's okay because I'm just so desperate to get that person. I'm like, it's not okay. It's a startup. Not yeah. going to be okay. I'm yeah. going to get madly frustrated with the fact that you're like, oh no, I can't do that. And you're like, but the job's not done. What do you mean? He's like, oh sorry, it's five o'clock. So it's like yeah. that mentality as well of it, and what you're expecting, and you know, it's all of those. So I think that there's two really important things when you think about hiring. So the first is can I do the job or the skill set. Yeah. But the second is the cultural fit is more important. Because if they're smart, a lot of the time they can learn the job. Like yeah. my whole role all the time is doing all of these jobs i have never traditionally done. But yeah. if you've got the initiative and the get up and go, you can achieve it. So we, we much lean on the cultural side, and I want to join. I want to be part of the journey, but not because oh, it's a startup and joining a startup is sexy. And I don't want to say I work for a startup, but yeah, I still want to have <laughs> yeah. all the perks, of healthcare, and everything else. Like, no, nah, that doesn't really fit. But that's a really yeah. good indicator now to us as we before. I'd be like trying to like you know make everything align. As we're now like, yeah. this is a red flag. Yeah. They, need, they actually I, want a more corporate style job and they, we will not be the right fit for them.
0: I think that's such a good observation. And I think it's such a good thing for any kind of newer founders or startups to hear now because you, that is such not a unique experience to so many businesses three, four years down the line. The, everyone has the same concept of... Everybody being, says it. And and everyone's like, at the beginning being like, trying to get like X these big companies, but not thinking of the red flags. Whereas actually everyone's doing everyone a much bigger favor by being super transparent about what you want and need and understanding what actually they want and need. And if they don't fit, and it's yeah. it, that I, I think just hearing, I even, I even say from personal experience, but I've heard so many people, at, at, same as you, D, at that stage, Getting those realizations, so it's like if anyone's listening that is at the earliest stage, I was like, just take heed of that. It's it's so important, and it'll make such a difference in those earlier hires. But it's hard to, to convey until you've actually experienced it.
1: Look, I feel like thousands of people, like we've all read it, we have all saw it, know, but actually, it's like it's it's one of those things you need to make the mistake yourself. Yeah. So I'm like, just be aware, this is a mistake you're going to make. You will not get hiring right. But when you do get it wrong, just rectify it as quick as possible. Do not sort of sit there with hope as a strategy.
0: Yeah.
1: The action, that's probably my advice. My action is not get hiring right. It's when you don't take action.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, brilliant. Uh, Okay, flipping it to the other side of the marketplace uh, where you're trying to get the demand, obviously you wanna get as many of these hungry uh, people who wanna really make the most beautiful home on planet Earth. But I'd imagine you've got a quite a competitive uh, share of voice there in terms of you've got a huge amount of furniture businesses in their own right lots lots of stuff in interior space so you said the first person to the door on your side was was SEO led I'd imagine there's a reason for that how how did you start to unpick and and work within that pretty competitive landscape of of getting eyeballs in in that interior space
1: Yeah so look it's it's probably a mixture of everything that you would expect from Paid, uh, I think always pays, uh, plays quite a big part in early stages of businesses. Yeah. Um, but also PR, really, really powerful. It helps to, you know, drive messaging as well in a very different way when you can get, you know, a publication to write about you and mm-hmm. explain what mm-hmm. the business does. Like very strong uh, traffic on the back of that. And um, we also worked with partners as well to try and tap in. So where they were home related, that was really good. But like SEO was one of the identified opportunities very early on to say, well, actually, there's a lot of people searching. And if you're looking for your arched mirror that is behind me, <laughs> you know, how many retailers have multiple of those? So if we've got yeah. 50 of them from across the market, well, actually, were the most relevant search return to return to a consumer. So yeah. how do we make sure that we're getting that across? So that yeah. was that was a big strategy at the beginning for us.
0: And, and in terms of like looking at that top of funnel, are you constantly um, optimizing that kind of channel mix between paid SEO, partner PR, or have you kind of got a set uh, breakdown of how you allocate resources to it now, or is it is it a constant experiment?
1: No, it's a constant experiment. And I think, you know, the world has changed it at a much bigger rate, like even since we launched, how many more social media platforms are there yeah. out there as well in terms of acquisition channels? Mm-hmm. There is a mm-hmm. lot more, not less. So traditionally, you know, I think it was quite set where you are and obviously COVID and has massively changed that as well of where people are and where you can target them. So it's all constantly changing. So I think we need to be much more adaptable rather than a execute and strategize and just put it into execution. You need to be consistently testing and learning.
0: Yeah. And then, in terms of uh, flipping back to the, the mirrors now, how did you find going out and onboarding John Lewis or Wayfair or all of these different um, wholesalers and retailers that you have on, on the platform? Was that an easy thing or did that take time to get them onboarded?
1: Yeah. So, this was very much uh, ran by my co founder. And, you know, it was a tough sell at the beginning because mm-hmm. you're you're selling a this is hypothetically what we're going to build it's yeah. not real it's not there. um so you know we didn't win them all at first we had to you know go back and keep them updated and you know that was a, a progressive uh, a period of like progression going back and talking to them time and time again to explain where we are and what we're doing and where we're relevant so yeah not a quick win, long game
0: And in terms of kind of adapting the platform to get the right audience or the right supplier, how much uh, have you changed it based on the kind of as customers increased and understanding who that customer is and, and, and what their demographic is? Has that helped you kind of change your tactics on either side in terms of what you bring on or how you target them?
1: Yeah, so like absolutely like a lot of things get tweaked. I would say our main vision and the main product, the concept has not ever changed Yeah, because it was very clear around what the problem was and what we we're doing, how we do it changes all the time around different feedback, that consistent feedback loop that I was talking about, but we maybe are a little bit unique in that way that we had such a defined problem area that we were trying to solve at the beginning that we've never changed from that core.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then going back to kind of the, the initial building block, so you, you, you brought in that initial kind of early stage investment from the SEIS to bring in, as you say, the initial talent, looking to bring in the kind of marketing function in terms of bringing in top of the funnel and, and setting out a new architecture that could support a really scalable platform. Having kind of achieved those elements, what was next in terms of what did you need to do as a business and what kind of funding did you need to, to go and achieve that?
1: Yeah, so um, we've continued to raise investment since then. um, And it's all about progression. So showing, right, we've built the scalable version, we've hired the team, we've launched a brand. Now this is the next phase of growth that we need to go through. And that will involve not just launching the brand, but growing it to this size, and to this Mm -hmm. size, and to this Mm -hmm. size, and to this size. So you're just constantly proving proof points along the way to go back to investors and to say, right, we've now progressed to this, this is what we've learned, this is how we've reevaluated the opportunity and how the timeframes are to achieving it and what we need to do in order to achieve it. Mm-hmm. And saying, so therefore, we are raising X, and with that, we want to deliver Y. Who's in getting more people on board, getting follow on from existing investors? See, so yeah, it's been a consistent period of, you know, grow, take investment, set the strategy, grow again, take more investment, and you just continue that.
0: And how do you find the time management aspect of that because obviously raising investment is is can be really energy tapping and also time consuming how do you manage that as well as keeping the the business uh, strategy and direction going in in the right trajectory that you're, you're setting out
1: yeah so um i suppose that's that's the job and um, it's not a nine-to-five job uh, just to be super clear on that um but you have to keep all the, the balls being juggled all of the time. And, you know, you'll have weeks or months where one of them is a bigger priority and then it sort of uh, comes back a little bit and you go into the other ones. But, you know, ultimately, that is the, the constant management of making sure that you're pushing all elements of the business forward. Um, and, and like there's always an area that you're never happy with. And yeah. um, I think I figure this out. Like there'll always be a weakest link. <laughs> nothing will ever be perfect because even when this this and this are perfect I'm like oh but this could be improved and that then becomes the weakest link so this was one of the concepts I sort of thought about at this moment of like aha I was like oh but like if we get this one then then everything is singing and everything is perfect but no because then something else comes to your attention so there's always I'm calling it the weakest link
0: that really resonates I, I always had it as like whack-a-mole. In terms of there was it was always something that's going to raise it, raise its head that you had to go in, and deal with, but yeah, that that is that is so so true. Um, in in terms of kind of like where where you're at now, you mentioned at the beginning, Ray had that realization of being in the states and chatting to colleagues and being like, actually, obviously, there's. 300-whatever million people there and, and, and his connections are like, there d- d- doesn't seem to be anything in, in this market. Like, how are you thinking about it from an internationalization perspective? Are you focusing on a couple of core markets first or are you are you, are you thinking on, on a bigger scale at all times?
1: Yeah, so the way that we approached it, I think people have two routes to internationalization, go early or go late. Yeah. Um, and what we really wanted to do was focus down in one market, establish the business, the commerciality before we distracted management times and working in multiple markets. So, you know, I think we're doing a fantastic job in the UK. We've got hundreds of retailers from John Lewis to uh, SCS to Benson's for Beds, SLF 24 and Dustville, names that you know, names that you don't. We've got, you know, millions of products and millions of searches now happening every single month. So what we are looking at is amazing. How do we then, you know, bring it through to that profitability in the UK before then looking at, right, which is the next markets that we want to go and look at?
0: Yep, makes sense. And then I suppose just bring it forward to the kind of here and the now. uh, Obviously, April 2019 doesn't seem that long ago in terms of finishing up your job and getting into it. But I'd imagine uh, those four years have moved extraordinarily quickly. What is... 2023 in terms of your role within the business how is that different to what's gone on in the years prior
1: yeah it's a good question actually so i think the years prior were about build as where 2023 is about growth
0: yeah
1: So you'll always be building yeah but i would say we're out of that build stage and it's now about actually how do we grow as our main function and continue then to enhance everything with extra bills and everything like that, but growth.
0: Yeah. Uh, I suppose then one, one, one kind of final question then for me, kind of, again, we're, we're now in this kind of change from build to, to grow phase. How have you enjoyed the experience in, from taking the plunge, quitting what you were doing and jumping into, as you quite clearly say, not a nine to five, multi-ass, crazy world, have you, have you enjoyed it? Are you excited where you are? Uh, very, very curious to hear what your thoughts are there.
1: So I was actually, I had a meeting in uh, Canary Wharf yesterday. And yeah. uh, after it, Ray asked me, he was like, do you regret, you know, not being in your big tower there? And uh, that <laughs> and I was like, there's not been one moment that I have regretted it, not one. Yeah. So, um, the only thing I miss is the money. Um, <laughs> but I would say, As a person, I've grown so much and it's been painful at times, personal growth is not fun to go through and you see all your your flaws and different bits of uh, where you need to develop. But it's amazing the progress and what you can do and what you've achieved outside of, you know, when you work in a corporate job, you do a little niche and you think, this is what I can do really well. I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. And all of a sudden you can. And I think to see the progression of it, it's the most wonderful feeling in the world because it's yours and you're so in control of the outputs having said that you know and I've shared with you as well it's like some of the lows though my guards they wear lower than you <laughs> ever feel low in a corporate job because it really yeah. goes to your core and affects yeah. you so much with it but like overall absolutely love it I've learned so much um and, you know, we're just getting started as well. So it's the, it's the excitement and the opportunity that's always there driving you. You know, maybe I'm still working 16-hour days, but it doesn't feel like work. You know, yeah. we, we had a holiday booked uh, to Barbados. And uh, I said to Ray, I was like, I think we need to cancel the holiday because we need to have these meetings. And he was like, I was wondering how to bring it up to you. And I was like, all right, great, we're both in alignment. Like, that's a bit sad, but like, that's how much we love the business and doing it. Yeah. It's not work. It's yeah. like you want to do it. You want to work on a Saturday because you know you'll get the output and that drives it forward. So it's it's nearly like an addiction in terms of yeah. building the business.
0: Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, like, I can't think of a better way to, to wrap it up there in terms of getting that kind of reaction of, of, of kind of your, your experiences today, obviously with highs and lows, but ultimately that you're in a sense of, yeah, high productivity, but it's not a sense of doing it for hours. It's doing it out of a love and a passion. Um, so, yeah. Thank you so much, Steve, for for coming on and sharing the experience. There's actually just so many good nuggets and insights there for anyone going through this journey to kind of reflect on. So really appreciate you sharing it and obviously wish everything success for yourself and Ray and obviously the whole you you furnished business as well. Thank Thank you you very much. Yeah. Awesome.